Welcome to Making Waves, a radio show about sound art, produced by New Adventures in Sound Art for WGXC. On today's show, we are featuring a performance by Montreal interdisciplinary artist Alexis O'Hara called City of Size. On the day after the performance, I had a chance to discuss her work, which has evolved from performance poetry to performance art and sound art. We discussed issues concerning staging her work and the differences between in-studio recording and live performance. Alexis, there seems to be a lot of different uh, influences in the music um, that I hear, from kind of looper electronics to uh, kind of Meredith Monk to theatrical elements. And so how do these things come together in this particular piece? The history of the piece is that I was invited to uh, do a concert in a 14th century Mennonite church in Krems, Austria, in the context of a festival called Contrast. And it was an, I was opening, uh, well, on the same bill as Dorit Chrysler and Diamanda Galas. And at the time, I was really listening a lot to this album. Uh, it was a um, Jacqueline Humbert album where she had asked a bunch of different contemporary composers to write pieces for her. And Joanne LaBarbera had written a piece, and it was called that performed by um, Jacqueline Hubert, and it was called Via Dolorita, The Street of Sighs, and there was a lot of sighing in it. And and I had already been thinking about the act of sighing as a, as a vocal signifier, and, um, and so I decided to kind of explore the idea of a city of sighs. And because the first presentation of the piece was in Austria, I originally did have a German title, which is sort of a kind of milestone of pretentiousness that artists <laughs> go through is naming something German. So it was called Seufzerenstadt, uh, which translates a uh, city of size, and, um, and in French, Cité Soupir. Um, so it's, a, it's a, mostly a wordless piece uh, that I look at the different emotional triggers for the act of sighing. So going from anger to depression, frustration to excitation to exhaustion to love to, I mean, that's six off the top of my head. There's nine in total. And they each have titles that are a little more poetic. And the only section, well, there were a couple words in this version because I have these title cards and because and I was thinking of the recording, I started to say a few words here and there to sort of encapsulate the description of it um, since there wasn't going to be the visual element because live I have the these title cards and I flip through them and um, you know have been known to rip one up because uh, it was the anger one uh, so um, so yeah that that's the that's the the sort of inspiration for the piece it's an improvised piece I give myself the structure of three minutes and it's on a timer on my phone and you'll you'll hear that throughout the piece this sort of dinging to change the channel and uh, sometimes I ignore it and and sometimes I forget to turn it on again but roughly the sections are each three minutes and um, you know this is the first time that I've done the piece using this one particular piece of audio equipment which is the TC Helicon voice manipulator and it kind of lends this more uh, I mean maybe contemporary is not the right word but sort of the trendy uh, auto-tune digitization of the voice which uh, I've never 
used before because in this version yeah this is the first time I've used that piece of equipment and in previous versions it was mostly just looping and um, analog guitar pedals and some digital guitar pedals as well so this is I think the fourth or fifth time that I've performed the piece so uh, using something like autotune has its own associations uh, with um, with any piece of equipment that you introduce, do you find that you are navigating in a different uh, cultural uh, domain? Could be, could be. I mean, certainly I have always looked at it, my vocal and electronic work, as being a collaboration with the equipment because I don't sense, especially because I'm using auxiliary sends and putting them back into the board and sending an auxiliary to itself and creating feedback loops that are simple or more complex with more than one delay pedal and more than one auxiliary send and then playing with the EQ of it. There's, there's, um, there's a, there's a, I have an understanding of it that I will never be the master of it, that I'm always having this exploratory relationship with what is going to be produced. And so that's part of the improvisation in that. And so, yeah, working this time with the this auto-tune vocal thing um it does it does lend a certain specificity in terms of what we identify it with but i think over the course of the 35 40 minutes of the piece um there are moments where you go oh this sounds really like this this makes me think of this you know there's some sort of um touchstones of this type of electronic improvisation that that have their own specificity you know and and I originally I was exploring with this piece and I I imagine this is kind of a through line through a lot of my vocal work is is looking at the uh, the confines uh, the social construct of the female voice and the female voice in the act of sighing and in these different modes has all these codes attached and signifiers attached to it that mm -hmm. I uh, want to like ex expose explore destroy exploit you know um, through the piece I assume that you were doing singing and vocal work and vocal performance before you worked with electronics is, is that right um, and I was wanting to know the how um, what led you to using the electronics and and how has that influenced um, your singing subsequently my background in terms of a public user of my voice is more in spoken word than it is purely in music and so there, but even before I started incorporating pedals into poetry or, or performance poetry or spoken word performances, I was using my voice as, uh, well, l looking at breaking up the speech in ways that later I was able to break up through the pedals. So repetition, breaking down a word, stretching out syllables, like these were things that interested me as a poet before I started using pedals. And when I started using pedals, then I kind of dove deeper into the materiality of the, the voice as opposed to the words that were being said. Mm -hmm. And so that is something that I've been 
working on, I mean, I ha I'm an interdisciplinary artist, so I, I, in some ways this is a part of my practice that is not, that I don't pay as much attention to as I used to. Um, but uh, but that there is this idea of the, the like, examining the materiality of the human voice by the connection and manipulation of the electronic pedals that has its roots in the way that I used to do performance poetry. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, even when I've made, I mean, when I've, the albums that I've made in, in many ways are very dissimilar from what a live performance is because in a live performance, I, I really love to improvise and, and capturing improvisations and then putting, committing them to, you know, a, a format and distributing it is, is a little more awkward. So you, you know, and end up making songs or, or making stuff that is more music that, mm -hmm. that gets released as opposed to the, what I do live. But I do, I, I do love doing the, the improvisation, even if it's kind of has this danger in it that, you know, it could go wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. is, it easy, is it easier to improvise in front of an audience rather than in the studio? Hmm. Is there a certain is there a certain uh, it, stakes? Or, yeah, or well, yeah. I mean, uh, that, that that exploration. It's very different. It's very different. What what was nice? I mean, you know, if I can look at a positive of the small turnout for the show last night, um, uh, is that it allowed me to kind of go inside a bit more. Because when I am in the studio, you know, if I'm jamming and you know, I'm not really worried about what my physical presence is to look at you know um and so i can spend more time hunched over a board and just twiddling knobs because i i coming from a, a theater background or a performance background there's this um there is a a will to have to have um something for people to look at you know I mean it's so that's sort of where there's been a kind of incompatibility between mm -hmm. my electronic um, sound art performance and my performance performance right. <laughs> is that is that there's mm -hmm. uh, you know I'm not I hate going to shows where there's a guy behind a laptop and you can't tell at all what he's doing or at least I can appreciate the music but I don't understand why we're facing this person you know why are we mm -hmm. looking at this person so if I'm on stage and I'm performing, I, I feel more beholden to look at my audience member or share something with them or, or kind of work on this connection between myself and them. So when there's no audience, then of course I can be freer to rid myself of those priorities and just go into creating the sound and in, in a way that, that maybe I don't always allow myself enough opportunity to do that when there is a bigger audience right but i guess in your case though um because it's based on the voice even when there's electronics um there's a certain physicality to producing the sound that doesn't totally. happen if you're purely electronic and i think in terms of a looking at what you do in an interdisciplinary perspective that there's a sense that everything is rooted in 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 a um they're intrinsically connected; uh, that they're all bonded from the inside, well, that's as good. opposed to uh, as opposed to a situation where we're, you know, uh, a laptop artist might stick a visual uh, video image or something just to provide a kind of visual candy. Right. Um, I can kind of see see how that the way that you're working does 
put different uh, restrictions or, or or opens different doors depending on the context that you're that you're creating the work for. Mm-hmm. Um, is the context of making an album is there something in that that's that is um, problematic or you know since your stuff was rooted in performance, is there something about recording that is a secondary uh, thing or do you just see it as a different opportunity? I, I do see it as a different opportunity. It's very different. It, you know, if if I were interested in in recording my improvisation, then one would think that I would have done it at one point. You know, I mean, because it's not. It, it it's it it just seems. I mean, I I did used to do a lot more home recording, and so then there's a lot of improvisation, and then you just make some decisions afterwards about sections to keep and sections not to keep, and and I self released some you know, mini, mini discs when the, when people had CD players and uh, weren't just feeding discs into their computers. And I mean, that itself being an olden days uh, mm-hmm. th- thing <laughs> to do. Because um, in Montreal, there were this a couple of machines that converted cigarette machines called Distrobatos, and they would sell these, you know, 15 minute mini CDs. And I made a bunch of those of, of improvised music. And, but once I started to work with labels and, and then release things on my own. Everything happens in a studio where you're paying for somebody's time, and and so it's a it's a very different process than than it is just doing the performance. Because, I mean, in some ways, I I I don't. In some ways, I think I'm I don't like perform recording performances because it takes. I mean, it was nice to have done it yesterday because there was nobody in the audience. But but if there had been, then then I feel almost a sense of superstition of like, well, no, we can't. We can't traffic this moment. Like it just has to exist as as something that lives in people's memories, as opposed to something that can be played over again. Because it, because of this aspect of the physicality of singing and the being in the room and and having a sense of the resonance of the space and the environment, it's sort of it's part of the packaging that you can't put on a recording. At least not in this, not yet anyway. Not but. yet. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. Um, are there different um, expectations you get from different presenters and different contexts in which you perform? Because, you know, with it being interdisciplinary, it means that you could end up in a visual art context, you could end up in a poetry context, you could end up in a sound art or music context. And, and I was curious to know how the conversation and the framing of the work changes based on those uh, different situations it's it's very hard to quantify that's a pretty large subject in a way I think in general people there are very few truly interdisciplinary presenters who who understand how to um, maximize the potential and benefits of the elements of interdisciplinarity so you have people who present visual works and sometimes a performance can happen in that type of space and and it'll have its limitations and and then there'll be other times where you know I mean I I think I'm throughout my career I'm quite used to to sort of never really feeling comfortable (laughs) in in any of the spaces or 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 finding a certain comfort but but uh, but always kind of maybe with a little bit of regret of things that could have been. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, the arts in Canada, a lot of, a lot of presenters, there, are, there aren't 
a lot of presenters are artists themselves, you know, and they've become presenters as a way to support their art. And so there's there's something that's there's a little bit of a disconnect there between like what w one would ideally um, be able to do as a presenter if that was the only thing that they did and that was what they were actually truly good at, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I mean, we're we're lucky in this country to to have support for the arts and have it in in various forms. So sometimes, you know, you get paid in love and sometimes you get paid in money. And, um, you know, it's rare that they go hand in hand. That was Alexis O'Hara in Conversation. You're listening to Making Waves. Next, we're going to listen to her performance of City of Size, recorded on July 28th at the NASA North Media Arts Center in South River. In City of Size, Alexis O'Hara randomly selects a poster-sized cue card that serves as a cue for changing the direction of the performance and also as a trigger for an emotional state associated with the act of sighing. The changing of the cue cards is triggered by a ticking clock that alarms approximately every three minutes. Here is The City of Size by Alexis O'Hara.
What a pity, what a pity, oh. 
like the bubbles in a glass of
That was The City of Size by Alexis O'Hara, performed and recorded at the NASA North Media Arts Center in South River. Alexis O'Hara is an interdisciplinary performer who exploits allegories of the human voice via vocal and electronic improvisation, sound installation, and performance. Her work is influenced by her love of the destabilizing and transformative power of humor and improvisation. Last February, NASA presented her installation Squeak. We recorded a longer interview with her back in January 2018. To close out today's show, here are some sounds from Squeak, in which the public is invited to vocalize and jam with electronic delays inside a dome speaker sculpture. Thank you for listening. Making Waves is produced every month by New Ventures in Sound Art for WGXC Wave Farm. To read more about Alexis O'Hara, visit dyslexics.com. D-Y-S-L-E-X 
and the numeral 6.com. For info about NASA, go to naisa.ca.